Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents his teaching, Palm Sunday and the 70 Weeks. Praise the Lord. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and we're going to take some time to talk about why Palm Sunday matters. First of all, I want to let you know that others have used the same message title, Why Palm Sunday Matters, but have approached the topic from a different angle than I'll be using here today. What we're going to do this morning is explore exactly when the first Palm Sunday occurred and exactly why the timing is so significant. You know, Palm Sunday marks the day that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey and the people welcomed him into the city as their Messiah. It also marks the beginning of the last week of Jesus' earthly life and was capped off with his resurrection from the dead 1,988 years ago. Let me show you that in the Scriptures. If you would, turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We'll be reading verses 12 through 15. John chapter 12. In your devices or in your Bible, starting at verse 12. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Amen. There's a couple of things I want you to see here. First of all, this is the first time in the Bible that you see Jesus riding on anything. Because every other time you see him traveling in the Bible, he's traveling on foot. I believe that's because Jesus knew that the very act of riding into Jerusalem on that day on a donkey was prophetically significant. He knew he was fulfilling prophecy by coming into the city that way. You know, the prophet Zechariah right here in verse 15, that's the prophet Zechariah, 500 years before it happened, declared to the nation of Israel that their king or their Messiah would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's also significant for another reason. In those days, If a king rode into a city on a horse, he was coming for war. He was coming to conquer. But if he came on a donkey, he was coming in peace. You know, Jesus wanted them to know that he was their king, but he was coming first as the prince of peace. Unfortunately, the whole nation was expecting him to come as a conquering king. And they were expecting him to throw off the oppression of Rome and reestablish Israel as the preeminent kingdom of the earth. All of that was introduction and background information for the rest of the message, which is also very prophetic in nature. And the message will eventually lead us back to some really cool stuff 
that you may not know about Palm Sunday. And I'm really excited because it involves math. Amen. Math is a part of my science and engineering background. Let's begin by sharing the story of how God himself and the Old Testament prophets foretold over a period of 4,000 years that Messiah would come to the earth and be the Savior of the whole world. 4,000 years of prophecy that began with God. And if you study these prophecies, you'll find that two pictures of the Messiah emerge. His first coming would be that of a suffering lamb, a sacrifice that would be made for the salvation of the world. His second coming would be that of a conquering king. You know, the residents of Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday, they just didn't realize that they had these two events in the wrong sequence. Amen. As believers, we've got to become comfortable with the notion that Jesus is a suffering lamb, but he's also the lion of the tribe of Judah, a conquering king. If we're ever going to understand who Jesus really is, we got to understand that he is the lion and the lamb. This revelation of the lion and the lamb was reinforced to the apostle John when he was taken to heaven and given his great vision of the end times. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, and we'll read verse 5 and 6. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and out of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, there's a lot going on in these verses, and I don't have time to go into it all. Amen. The main thing I want you to see is this. John was told by the elder to look for the lion of the tribe of Judah, but what he saw was the lamb that was slain. Do you see that? That's because Jesus is both the lion and the lamb. Just different manifestations of the same Jesus, one of mercy and one of wrath. Amen? All right, so shifting gears a little, what I'm going to do now is give you a sample of the prophecies that went forth about Jesus over that 4,000-year period that I've already mentioned. Starting with mankind's fall, God was the first one to speak about 4,000 years before Jesus' first coming. Turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll be reading verse 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust. All the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Amen. God told the devil, Because you have deceived the woman, and she persuaded her husband to partake of the forbidden fruit, 
You are cursed from this day forward. You're going to be a dust licker. That's the way I think about it. And I'm going to raise up seed from the woman that will one day produce a deliverer. That's talking about Jesus. And there will be warfare between the children of the devil and the children of God. You may bruise his heel, devil, but Jesus is going to crush your head. Amen. That's the first prophecy about Jesus recorded in the Bible, and it came from God himself. Then Enoch prophesied about the second coming of the Lord about 3,300 years before Jesus' first coming. Jude chapter 14. Jude chapter 14. Now, I'm just giving you a sample because there's over 300 specific prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm just giving you a handful. Jude verse 14. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Amen. That's a picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ, the coming of the conquering king that we've been talking about. And guess what? He's riding at the head of an army, and you and I will be in that army. Moses prophesied about the coming Messiah about 1,500 years before Jesus' first coming. Turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18, reading verse 15. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel in the wilderness. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Now, let me give you a little context. They had just had a very frightening encounter with the Lord God on Mount Sinai, where they heard the audible voice of God, and the dark clouds and the thunder and the lightning frightened them so badly, they told Moses, we don't want God talking to us anymore, because we think if he does, we're going to die. So Moses is reassuring them that God is going to send somebody to the earth out of their brethren, who be one just like them, and yet he will be the voice of God, and he will speak comfortably to you, and not so frighteningly and intimidation as you had with the Mount of Sinai. You see that? Isn't that cool? Praise the Lord. Then Isaiah prophesied about the coming Messiah about 700 years before Jesus' first coming. We're getting closer. We started with 4,000 years prior. Now we're down to 700 years prior. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Everybody knows this. Amen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That word means God with us. Isaiah said he's going to be born of a virgin. That means he's going to be of heavenly origin, and he's going to be God with us in the person of a human being. Then Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 9.6 tells us something about the destiny of this Emmanuel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Amen. 
Amen. So now we've got a picture of this coming Son of God, this coming 100% God, 100% man, this God-man who is one day going to take the shoulder of the governments of the whole earth and He's going to rule and reign the whole planet. He's going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem, in Israel, and He's going to rule the world. Just like a famous line from the movie, He's going to stand up and say, I'm the king of the world! Only it won't be a fantasy, it'll be truth. Amen. Isaiah 53, 4 and 6, now we shift from this conquering king, this this government leader, to this other Messiah that we see in the Scriptures, the suffering lamb. Isaiah 53, verse 4 through 6, this comes from what many people refer to as the messianic chapter of Isaiah. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Amen. So right there in the same chapter, actually in the same book of Isaiah, you have both pictures of the conquering king and the suffering lamb. And then finally, this is where I've been wanting to get the whole message, because this is way, way cool. Finally, we get to Daniel, who prophesied about the coming of Messiah 500 years before the first coming of Jesus. And I just want to tell you the 70 weeks of Daniel, which we're going to look at here in Daniel chapter 9, in my view, is the most astounding prophecy contained in the whole Bible. It is stunning. It is earth-shattering. How anyone could study this prophecy and fully digest it and not know that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah is a mystery to me. So let's begin by reading Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 through 4. I want you to put your thinking caps on and open up your heart to the revelation of the Word of God. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 through 4. Daniel is living in captivity in Babylon. Picking it up here at verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of God through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So get the picture. Daniel is reading the scroll of Jeremiah, and he realizes that the time of their captivity in Babylon is coming to an end. So he starts praying, even though it's already been prophesied that it's going to come to pass. He felt the need to pray that the people of Israel would be prepared for the days ahead and the monumental challenges that this transition back to their homeland would present. Verse 3, then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications 
with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and mercy with those who love Him and with those who keep His commandments. And then from verse 4 down through verse 20, he prays one of the most passionate, heartfelt prayers that I have ever heard before. You owe it to yourself to go read that prayer sometime. We just don't have time today. So let's skip down to verse 20. Daniel says, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. How cool is that? You pray, and the angel Gabriel comes with the answer. Verse 22, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. I love that. The minute you prayed, God told me to go answer your prayer. Isn't that comforting to know? When does God answer your prayer? If you pray according to his will, the moment you pray the prayer. Amen. He sends an angel with the answer. Now, there's a teaching that has to go along with that about how sometimes there's resistance that has to be prayed through. But it's comforting to me that when I pray to the Lord, He sends the answer right away. So in response to Daniel's prayer for understanding, God sends the angel Gabriel to give him the revelation he needs to understand what was going to happen to Israel going forward in time. Verse 24, here's where it gets a little interesting, and here's where you really need to pay attention. Verse 24 says, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, there's a lot going on there, amen, and it's a 70-week period. And if you study this out carefully, and I've studied it for years, you find out that the 70 weeks being referred to here are actually 70 weeks of years, not days. So there will be, according to Gabriel, what he told Daniel, there will be 70 times 7 or 490 years in which the Lord will deal directly with the nation of Israel. And it's a bit of an advanced topic, and we won't be going into it this morning. We're going to go on to verse 25. We're still going to cover some cool stuff. We still got to do some math. We still got to do some thinking. Verse 25. Here's where I want you to really zone in and pay attention. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks, 
the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. Amen. Here's what I want you to focus on this morning. In verse 25, the angel Gabriel tells Daniel that the Messiah will come 69 times 7 or 483 years after the decree is issued to rebuild the city. So if we can find out when the decree was issued to rebuild Jerusalem, we know that 483 years later, Jesus, the Messiah, would come to Israel. Does everybody see that? I'm going to repeat it because it does need to be repeated. There's people on the podcast that are going to probably say the same thing. In verse 25, the angel Gabriel tells Daniel that Messiah will come 69 times 7 or 483 years after the decree is issued to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. So if you can find out when the decree was issued to rebuild Jerusalem, that will be your start point. We know that 483 years after that start point, Jesus the Messiah will come into the city of Jerusalem. Everybody follow that? Now, there were three decrees that we know from history and from the Bible issued concerning the release and the return of the Jews from captivity. Three decrees were issued. One decree concerned the rebuilding of the temple. Another decree concerned reinstituting temple worship. But only one decree concerned the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. To be scripturally accurate, the timing had to be based on a decree to rebuild the streets and the walls of Jerusalem because they are specifically mentioned in the prophecy of Daniel. The only one of those decrees that qualifies is the decree that was issued by Artaxerxes, king of Persia, in 444 B.C. We know that from history, and we know that from the Bible. You can read it in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. Nehemiah was Artaxerxes' cupbearer, and he asked the king for permission to take a band of men back to Jerusalem and rebuild the streets and the walls of the city. And he was granted permission. So 444 B.C., Artaxerxes issues a decree to Nehemiah the first day of the month of Nisan, that's March, April, our time frame, to rebuild the city and the walls of Jerusalem. And God's prophetic clock begins to run. All right. Here's where you got to stay with me. Doing the math. The problem is the Jews counted their years in lunar years. We count our years in solar years. So you got solar years versus lunar years. And the Jewish calendar was based on a lunar year of 360 days. Our calendar is based on a solar year of 365.242 days in a year. So we have to make a conversion to get it into our time. All right? So stay with me. We take 483 lunar years times 360 days, and we get 
173,880 lunar days. We're just doing some math here. Then we take 173,880 lunar days divided by 365.242 solar days to convert into our time, and we get 476 solar years and 25 solar days. So we got to go from 4, 444 B.C., and we got to go forward 476 years and 25 days, our time. When you do that, because we go from B.C. to A.D., we have to subtract 444 from 476 and 25 days, and we get the 25th day of Nisan, 32 A.D. We Christians recognize this day as Palm Sunday. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Now, before you get too impressed, let me fess up to something. <laughs> After years of studying Daniel's 70 weeks, I finally came across a book that was written by a Bible scholar by the name of Dr. Alva J. McLean, who wrote in the 40s, and he came up with a date of Palm Sunday, 33 A.D. Turns out there was a calendar error that I didn't know about, so I was a year off. But I say, not bad for an amateur, eh? So let me wrap it up by saying this. What man came into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey, claiming to be and celebrated as the promised Messiah on Palm Sunday in the year 33 A.D.? There is really only one answer. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? I don't know about y'all, but that rocked my world. Now, it shouldn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that if Daniel prophesied the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, even predicting the exact day that he would present himself to the city of Jerusalem over 500 years before it happened, you can take it to the bank. Jesus Christ is Messiah. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is king. You know, the Bible says when the fullness of time was come, after 4,000 years of proclamation, the spoken word of God and the living word of God converged and they became flesh. We see that in Galatians 4.4. 4. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. And then John 1.14. John 1.14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So don't be like the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They prided themselves on their knowledge of the Scripture, but they missed the 70 weeks of Daniel. Either they missed it or they ignored it, which is worse. Or don't be like the intellectuals of our day who scoff at prophecies being fulfilled. 
even one as astounding as Daniel's, which gave the exact day, 500 years before it happened, when Messiah would come into the city of Jerusalem riding on a donkey on Palm Sunday, 33 A.D. You know, sometimes the truth is right before you, hidden in plain sight. And all you have to do is make a slight adjustment to see the truth. If you haven't made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I can think of no better time to do it than now. Those of you that are here this morning and those of you that are listening by podcast, I want you to pray this prayer with me. In fact, I want everybody to pray this prayer with me, whether you're a believer or not. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Just repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins and raising him from the dead for me. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Because of Jesus, I am now born again. I am now a child of God. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me live the life that you have planned for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, you've been born again. You are a child of God. Now, the most important thing you can do now is ask the Lord to plug you into a local church, a good local church, where the word is preached and the spirit is free to move. So people who love you can help you become the person that God has called you to be. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Dr. Forrest's message, Palm Sunday and the 70 Weeks. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you would like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.